Hi there, you're listening to the 247 Girl Boss Podcast, and I'm your host, Ola. In this podcast, we discuss the successes, failures, and pivotal moments that make the career change journey worthwhile. Expect to have a few laughs, be encouraged, and get equipped with the mindset, tools, and resources required on the journey to finding the careers you love and making a difference where you live. Hi guys, welcome to another edition of the podcast. And today we have our special guest, Antoya Secret Grijona. She is the owner and founder of Desire 1709 Fashions. She is a mom blogger uh, at the TG Jonah um, brand. And she also has a thriving fashion business school. Uh, with today we're going to be talking about all things starting out how to make it work for you. As I, as you can see, I've said she's juggling a lot of things and we're going to learn all about that from her. Hi, Toyosi. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you so much, Ola, for having me. It's Thank you. so beautiful being here. Thank you. Do you mind introducing yourself? I've said a little bit, but tell us a little bit more. Okay, thank you so much. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Toyosi Gregujona. I'm a mom of two, a fashion entrepreneur and a fashion business coach. And also, I create, um, I have a blog and a YouTube channel where I write lifestyle content, um, things around my, you know, my life, being a mom entrepreneur, being a mom, being, you know, just being a human being. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Oh, thank you. Uh, so tell us from the beginning. I want us to start from the beginning. As you know, this, this podcast, we're talking about career change. We're talking about how you start. So tell us how you started. Because I know you've had a couple of transitions as, you, as you've gone along the way. Where did you start from? And how did you finally get here? Okay. Thank you so much, Ola. And um, so um, while I was in uni, I was that girl who everyone would say, oh my gosh, she dresses so well. So it all started from university where I, you know, I took the opportunity because of the fact that I would dress so well and everyone would, know, would ask me, oh, Tuyas, where is that from? So I started to, you know, sell pieces to people. I started to create, actually started by creating menswear while I was in university. So I started creating men's shirts. I was focused on that for a long period. Mm-hmm. And then when I finished NYSE, I went to Taraba, came back. I was still selling, selling stuff. So I would buy things from Lagos. I would sell it to my colleagues in Taraba. So, you know, that whole selling and buying has always been a part of me. Of course, I mean, I was, I, I, you know, I was born and brought up in an entrepreneurial family. Um, so when I finished youth service, I returned back to Lagos and I started to, you know, work in a bank. So it continued. I was still selling stuff. I would buy clothes. I would buy shoes and all of that. I would sell to people. I was selling for my car at the time. Right. So after so long, I decided, you know what? I wasn't finding women in this bank job. I, I just wanted to leave. In fact, before then, I still, you know, got qualified ACCA with the hope that maybe I was going to go into practice. But I just realized that, you know, what there was something about fashion that was just, you know, it, it just, whenever I hear, whenever I, you know, I find myself in that space, my mm-hmm. mind just, you know, you can see the light in my face. You mm-hmm. know that you know, this was me. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to just, you know, bite the pill and just do this. So, I moved, I moved to the UK in 2010, 2011 after marriage and all of that. And then I still continued buying and selling. And in 2012, I decided, you know what? I want to actually open a physical store back in Nigeria. So I went to Nigeria, opened a physical store in 2012. And it's been, this is eight, the eighth year. This is, I mean, this is um, where we are right now. So there's a physical store in that period of that, like eight, nine years, we transitioned from buying in 
mm -hmm. to creating our own pieces. So every single thing that we sell now at Design 1709 Fashion is created in Nigeria. Every single piece. All the clothes are made in Nigeria. And we're also in the process of launching out in the United Kingdom now because obviously I'm back in the UK now. So I'm literally running the business from the UK. So I reside in the UK and business in Nigeria and we've been doing amazing, thank God. So we're launching in the UK very soon. And that's pretty much just the process. Of course, I'm sure there have been a lot of small, small issues in you know, here and there in the middle while we're growing and all of that. But I mean, I'm so grateful and thankful that, you know, I'm able to do what I'm doing. And, you know, it just brings me joy because for me, this is fulfillment beyond the fact that I have all these qualifications and I could just decide, you know what, I want to go and do a nine to five. But I realize that I don't find joy in those things. Fine. It will bring you money, but then you will sit back and be like, is this what I really want to do? So where I am right now is really where I want to be. Like in terms of, you know, the things that make me happy, the things that, you know, I, I even when it seems like there's some obstacle, I'm still like, okay, you know what, there's this obstacle, but I'm not going to give up because this is where my heart lies. So that's pretty much um, the progression. I was in the bank for almost like, you know, six and a half years before I left. So, you know, if, in fact, when I was leaving, everyone thought I was crazy. They were like, why are you leaving just because you want to do, you know, you want to relocate and, and then focus on selling clothes. I'm like, you guys don't, you guys don't understand. For me, it wasn't just the money, which is, which was very strange because I mean, I was new in my, in my career. I was very fresh. I should actually be chasing the money, but you know, I didn't want to just chase the money because for me, I was getting the money and then I was still doing my business on the side. And I'm like, this, my business pay also brings me the money. And then it gives me that joy that I really want from something that I'm doing. And I saw myself doing this long term. So that's why we're here today. Tell me about it. You, so you, you were in banking for six and a half years. Mm -hmm. Tell me the thought process. Yes, I know you weren't fulfilled, but from the moment you decided I'm leaving this place, what did you do? How did you, what steps did you take to make sure that as you were going, you would never want to come back? You would, you would, or did you always have banking or a, a nine to five as a stopgap or a um, cushion that you could follow? What did you, because some people say, I'm going to burn the bridge, never turning back. And some people say, I'm going to venture out, but I always know I can come back. So what was your thought process and what steps did you particularly take? to help you. Okay, thank you so much, Ola. And I think that is such an amazing and very, very important question. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not an advocate of who oh, just burn the bridge. So what I did was, when I knew that I was going to leave, I started to map out my exit plan so that I do not have a comeback, right? And I, um, honestly, I still had my mind really open. Like if I set out and it doesn't work, I'm going to dust my pali and go back. Because the truth is, um, sometimes the things that we see when we, before we jump out into a business mm -hmm. is different from the reality that faces us. And there are a lot of things that would happen that would just, that can change the thing that you had planned. Because the truth is, you don't control the economy, you don't control um, natural events. There's so many things that you don't control. So saying that I'm going and never coming back, and then even when things are not working, you now be stuck and say, oh, I'm not going to go back because I, I promise I will never go back. I don't think that makes any sense. So what I did was, I said, okay, tell yourself, if you're going to leave now, what are you going to do? It, I, it took me almost two years to actually plan this. So what I started to do was that I had started doing my ACCA then. So I'm like, okay, tell yourself, finish up this ACCA before you leave. So you know that, okay, worst case scenario, if doing this business doesn't work, you can go into practice. 
at least then you can then use that to say, okay, these were the mistakes that I made in this business. Let's sit back and go back to drawing board and fine tune. Then I can set out a second time. Because for me, failure really is like feedback. It's like ways to tell you, listen, how you ventured out is not the way to venture out. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try it again. It doesn't mean that you can't do it again. It doesn't mean that you can't get it right a second time. So I made sure that I finished my ACCA and then I started to say, this is the route that I'm going with this business. I'm going to focus on buying from here, buying from here. I started to do a lot of research. I started to find, okay, what other ways can I buy this, my product and gain economies of scale so that I can reduce my cost and then make more money. I started to do all those research. I started to find out people. So if I go to this country to buy, is it cheaper here? Is it better here? The quality here, I was using all of that period to do that research because as at the time, this number of people selling clothes is not as much as this, right? So you have to get it right. Mm -hmm. You have to get it right to get customer loyalty, right? And I knew that I, I didn't have money then to venture out into opening a physical store. So I wanted to make sure that even though I was selling from the car, I was selling good pieces that would enable me to have customer satisfaction and customer loyalty, right? Mm -hmm. So I needed to be sure that I was buying the best, you know? So I was doing that research and I was also asking the people who were buying from me at the time, what can I do better? If I set out fully, what kind of things would you want to see me carry? So they knew I wasn't going to leave yet, but I was gathering all those information so that in my buying decisions, those things were guiding me. Because the truth is, it's a huge gamble. You're going to go and buy stuff that you think people are going to like. Or like you will come back and then people will be like, if the thing that you feel like, oh, this one, they will buy it fast. Let me tell you, that thing can be there six months looking at you. So if you don't have the right, if you're not equipped with the right information based on your consumers, you will end up with a lot of things that people don't want. So I started doing all this research. I was really asking a lot of questions. You know, I was sending out questions to my friends who were buying for me in other banks and saying, oh, can you help me have a look? Your colleagues, where do they buy their work clothes from? Where are they buying these things from? So I started asking. On my weekends, I would go to these places that people were mentioning to me just to go and look. What do they sell in this place? What do they have? So I started asking myself, what is setting? Okay, fine. This person have a physical store that is enabling people to come and try on clothes. So I knew that the ability to try on the clothes was something that was going to set, I mean, that, that gave these people, you know, that upper hand over mm -hmm. people like someone like me. So I started asking, is it convenient for me now to invest money in having a physical store? Those were the things that I was doing, you know, those are the calculations that my brain was doing at the time. Okay, so you see, you can't afford to have a physical store now. What can you do in the interim? So I started saying, how about you send these things to these people, give them the grace of like three to five days and ask them to try it on. If you're comfortable, take the ones you want. If you're not comfortable, send back the ones you don't want. All of that changed things for me. Because then the customer knows that you don't have a physical store for me to come and try on the clothes, but I had the opportunity to try on this clothes at my own convenience mm. in my house. So then my strategy was to tell them that, you know what? You know when you go to the store to try on the clothes, everybody's rushing, everybody's rushing you, you, you may still not be happy. Then you get to and you have buyer's remorse. So I am offering you an opportunity to remove buyer's remorse by trying on the clothes in your house. So it was a, it was a huge one. That was my point. That was my, my, my USP then. You know? But because this was possible, because I took out the time to find out why people will buy from other people and not me. So before you set out, 
find out all this information. Equip yourself with information. It's really important. Don't set out and say, oh, let me just go. No, you don't jump out into the water and start complaining or being cold. So I had all these things laid out. I'm not saying that, you know, some things didn't change because of, you know, a lot of things that I couldn't control. For example, you know, forests and all those things. But it gave me a soft landing. Hmm. It really helped me because a lot of the things that I would have encountered and would have been a shock, I already had a shock absorber, which was the information that I had in my hands. So I set out gathering all this information and then, you know, I had like that arsenal of, okay, what ifs? So I had a, a, it was almost like creating a, if this, then that kind of situation for myself. Mm-hmm. And that really helped. That so, really helped. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much. That's so useful. So for anybody listening to this now that is thinking, I want to leave my nine to five as well, maybe for a fashion business or maybe to do something else. What would you say? 10 steps that person needs to take. You've already given some of them, but 10 steps, what would you say? Okay, so first thing, like I said earlier, assess where you are right now. That's the first thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Assess where you are right now. Fina- so you're going to do a life audit, literally. You're doing a life audit. Under the life audit, you're taking your finances. Mm-hmm. You're taking your skills. So you ask yourself, what in this business that I want to go into, do I have the required skill to maximize going into this business? Because the truth is, if you don't have the skill, you need to go and start to equip yourself. Absolutely, yeah. So one thing I did also mention was that as at the time when I was preparing to launch out, I, I started asking myself, what kind of courses can I start to take to equip myself, right? So you do not life audit. Where I am right now, okay, let me give you an example. So you have a newborn baby. Is it a good time in your life? for you to want to make that career change. Will your life allow you to be able to function well in this new business? If you won't, you better sit your butt there and wait another one year or two where you can get a hang of this your new baby or this your new life you know, events yeah. that have just happened to you. Exactly. And then rather than just, yes, sit down, but there are still other things you can be doing while you're exactly. waiting. Exactly. No, what I'm, that, that, I'm, I'm going there. So while you're also sitting down and saying, you know what, I can't make this drastic change right now. What can I do now? Yep. That's where skill audit comes in. You start to audit your skill. What do I have in my hand? What do I know how to do that I can start to monetize now that will not give me any challenge with my current job? Right. So when you, you find out, that you find that you, sometimes when you do that skill audit, you realize that this thing that you can monetize is not even ready. And that's the challenge a lot of people have. People start to sell what is not ready to be sold. Then people now give you negative reviews and then you now sink in that negative review. Imposter syndrome will now come. Fear will come with it. And then you end up doing nothing. So do your skill audit. This thing that you can monetize, is it ripe to be sold? If it's not ripe to be sold, what can you do to ripen it? Right? So when you see what you can do to ripen it, jump on that. There are a lot of courses that you can take to help you fine-tune what you know so that you can, you can package it to be able to sell. Now, after doing the life audit, your skill audit, then you now start to take the courses. So you've mapped out the courses you need to take to get you from point A where you are now to point B where you can monetize this knowledge. Start to take these courses. Right? And while you're taking these courses, 
begin to look out for people that you can use as guinea pig. So I've learned how to bake. Somebody is doing better in your church, right? Give out testers. Offer them to make them the cake. Okay, you know what? How about you give me money to buy the ingredients? The baking is on me. Now, you're not just doing that. You are, you are sacrificing, you are selling your time to get feedback. Selling your time to get testimonials that you can now begin to leverage on to sell that skill. So, once you identify what you need to learn, you've started learning it. Offer this skill for free so that you know where to improve. Right? You offer your skill for free, you get testimonial, that goes into your bank. By the time you do two, three, four, people give you feedback. You go back to your drawing, but based on the feedback, you find tune one or two things, you know that it's time for you to now monetize this thing. Then you start to monetize. Now, by monetizing, that waiting period, you are still in your current job, right? While you start monetizing this new skill. Mm-hmm. You, monet- you start monetizing, and then you still now start, because let me tell you, the feedback that you're going to get when you start to collect money from people, it will be different on the feedback you get when you were doing it for free. I can tell you that for free. Absolutely, so yeah. You get feedback from, paid cli- from, from paying clients, and then you keep fine-tuning. So in that period, what you're doing is this. You're honing this skill, so that by the time you finally, you're honing this skill, and you're preparing yourself for life after your job. So you're putting your processes in place and tell, let me tell you, while you are doing that thing for that little money, every single thing you are doing, you want to start to document. You want to start to document because when your improvement comes, your improvement is going to be based on your base, your foundation. So write out every single thing. Start writing out what you're doing so that when it's time for you to improve, it becomes easier. You just go back to your notes, your process notes and say, this is how we used to do this thing. Then you go back and say, updates. Put the date of that update. By the time you launch out, you're not launching out a fresh business. You're launching out a business that you have really put blood and sweat into to bring it out right. When you launch out, that's when people see you and they say, overnight success. Because they, didn't, they don't know how long you've literally been building this thing in quiet. So when you open up now to the, to the world, you, you take the world by storm because you've literally spent being behind the back door for years, fine-tuning your processes, ensuring that everything is done right. You know, you've been selling at a smaller rate. Now you know that it is time for you to go full scale. That way, the transitioning process becomes, it looks seamless to everybody, but you know the back-end work that you've been doing for a while. So imagine all the six years of being in the bank, I was selling clothes to people, right? I, I grew from selling on credit to no longer selling on credit because of bad experiences, you know, to now also doing wholesale, trying to resell to other people who also want to resell in their offices, you know? That years of experience, nobody can take it from you. So when you mm-hmm. launch out fully into the public and when you leave what you were doing before, it becomes easy for you to stand right because all the pillars you need to stand on You've literally built it all these years. So I may not have said step one, step two, step three, but all these things are singular different processes that you need to do for you to be able to launch out fully into the public and then feel confident. Also, know that you've also 
Build up your finance because if you've been making money from this business, now you know what works. You know what marketing strategy works. You know what marketing strategy does not, is not going to work. While you also keep, you know, evolving because business in its own is not static in any way. Everything is changing. So you have to constantly evolve. You know, and it, is, and it is in this process of you building up yourself to launch out that you learn how to quickly adapt. You have to learn adaptability because so many things will change even in the period when you are also trying to build up. Mm-hmm. You know, government will change power. They will change economic um, reform. There will be economic reforms. There will be forest fluctuations and instability. All these things are preparing you for when you finally launch out. So don't say because you can't live where you are now, then you now sit down and just fold your arms. No, that thing you want to do, start to test it out. This is a time where you start to test it out on people around you, on, you know, just offer your service for free, just so you can get feedback. And let me tell you, the feedback is gonna give you social proof. Absolutely. Even when I started my coaching business, Fashion Business Academy, I took two people to train them for free. One of them recently gave me like a five-page epistle of the benefits. Even though she ended up not doing fashion business, she went into food and she said every single thing I thought, she's adapting it now to suit her business. I don't think any kind of marketing trumps that. Because that's a real-life example of somebody taking what I thought and literally just replicating into another business. So what it means is that whatever I thought works. And that's what you need because that's what's going to, because you, you really can't talk, speak enough about your business. Mm. People want to hear from other people who have experienced you. So how do you get that opportunity? If you don't offer it for free, people need incentive for people to even allow themselves to be used as guinea pigs. They want incentives, which is you saying, you know, I'm going to spend these four hours to bake you this cake for free. Just so that I also, because it also gives you confidence in yourself that you can do this. So imagine doing it so well, even when you're not paid, when you get paid, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to do it amazingly well. Absolutely. So that's, that's pretty much it. Thank you. That was really helpful. What, in your years of experience now, what would you say has been your biggest obstacle? One of the things that you had to give you, it was an obstacle, it it was tough for you, and you had to find a way to overcome it. And almost, how would you advise somebody else to overcome that same obstacle if they had it? Okay, so number one obstacle with the business has been, has been, you know, copycats and mass production. That's one. The second one being the, the most, the most um, what's the word, intense is staffing. Mm. Unfortunately, because of the way Nigerian mentality and the Nigerian culture is, um, sometimes it's really difficult to find disciplined people to work with. And if you are like me, who have, you know, sorry, a great level of work ethics, it becomes difficult because then people start to make you feel like you're crazy mm-hmm. just because you're demanding quality service, right? So finding the right kind of staff 
is always a hassle. Then when you now find people and then you now train them and then they now decide to just disappear, right? Finding people who understand that, you know what? Integrity is key in growing in life. Whether you're working with somebody or you're working for yourself, it's important that you put in the work. Whether you're working remotely or somebody is there with you, you have to have that moral standard that reminds you that you have been paid for this job and you need to use your employer's time to do your employer's work. That has always been the issue. People are at work, they want to be pressing their phone. People are at work. Some people come to work and all they're there to do is just to spy. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with. They will come and work for a short period of time. They will disappear without due process and literally throw you in pandemonium. So that has been the biggest one. And the second one, like I mentioned, is the fact that people, unfortunately, social media has been good for the business and has been bad in so many other ways. Before the advent of Instagram, we were selling our pieces in our stores and this copycat thing wasn't so bad. Now, the speed of light, you put out a design this minute, the next minute, the people are going to copy you, they either copy you to reproduce, and that's one of the reasons why, one of the ways that I dealt with that was to switch into creating our own pieces. But still, I'm going to tell you the truth, we still have a, a handful of them to deal with. Because some people just have no moral compass. Once you put out your design, they carry it word for word. In fact, they use the same color of fabric, they use the, the same design, and they just replicate it and sell for less. Now, the reason why they can sell for less is this. The kind of expenses that you incur at your research and development stage, mm -hmm. they don't have to incur it because you've literally done the work for oh, them. For them yeah. So they don't put all of those things into consideration. And unfortunately, Instagram is a market where people can easily do price comparison. Mm -hmm. Even if the fabric you have used is better than theirs, even if your outfit is more quality finished than theirs, the customers cannot see that on social media. All they can see is that the clothes look the same. So you can't feel fabric. You can't touch fabric on social media. You can't, you know, so it's really difficult, right? We started creating our own pieces. We sort of like, you know, reduce that a little bit. But honestly, you really can't, you really can't. As far as you continue to put items on social media, you will continue to experience this. So that one is actually a plague that may forever live with us. Even when you trademark the pieces, you now start to ask yourself, the energy and time and money you're going to be using to drag somebody in a lawsuit, do you really want to do that? Mm. And because fashion dates really quickly, the moment an item becomes a popular item on social media, depending on your, on your customer base, it becomes, oh, that Instagram cloth, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. So you now start to ask yourself, efficiently, does it make sense that you're spending money to drag somebody on an outfit that even your customers have already said, Instagram cloth, I don't want it. Right? So I've just decided with that to just pick my battle. I know what is what is. So we plan our marketing in such a way that we hit the market and we just go va, 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 va. And then we just take our hands off that design or off that print. Once we notice that people are starting to you know, mess about with it. Funny enough, because of customer lawyers, some of our customers are even the ones who are now calling out some of these copycats and be like, no, 
this is the design something when I design and they will not tag me in it. But unfortunately, nothing, there's nothing we can do. So we just sell off and just move on to something else. That's how I deal with that. Mm. With staff, what I've started to do is this. So we create a, a, a work environment where everybody is included in the new recruitment process. So for example, I started to do this where the people who are in that team, they are the ones who are responsible for recruiting their own subordinates. Such that it becomes literally, you know how when you hire somebody, it's almost like a responsibility that you want to help them so they don't fail. Mm. Also, because you know that if they fail, I will come back and say, you hired the person. You hired, so I'm giving you the opportunity to hire your own staff. And that ownership mentality, let me tell you, it has really helped. So they take it upon themselves to hold their subordinate responsible and to also kind of like, there's always, there's, there's always this big brother, big sister kind of mentality. Mm. Like I have to help this girl succeed. And that has really helped. So even when that person is misbehaving, I'm not going to the person. I'm going to you, the line manager, and saying, what's going on with your staff? And the moment, and then you know, there's that intimacy with them because they work together. Mm-hmm. So you have the responsibility to let us know if this person has plans of leaving. Mm-hmm. So you encourage them and say, you know, if you want to leave, to your sees somebody you can talk to. Our own is give us one month, at least a month notice so we can find somebody else and then you can train the person. Such that when you're gone, you don't leave us hanging. Right? So when you join us, we share with you all the information, all the documents that come with it to you, tell you if you do not give us a one month notice, you lose your salary or we will send you, a, we, we can drag you for the salary. Because you signed the contract. The contract says we need at least four weeks. Because recruitment is not, is not a joke. We recruit, we train and all of that. So we've done that. So I've also like made my people, they're the ones who are responsible for recruitment. The only thing I do is sort of like an aerial overview, an aerial view of, okay, let me see what you guys have done. Why are you hiring this person? What are the reasons? You know, so they share that with me. And because they are the ones you're going to work with, if you are giving anybody a headache, it's not me you are giving a headache, it's them you are going to give a headache. Because if you don't do your work, it means that they are the ones who will be doing it to cover up for you. And if it's okay for them to continue to cover up, that's their business. I'm telling you, this has saved me a lot of problems. So I delegated that. I will still, do, I will still be the one to say, yes, we have proved that you hired this person based on this information that you have given. Right? But if it doesn't work, you know that your opportunity to get that 100% um, right and confident, vote of confidence for me to make a decision about somebody, you are reducing yeah, it. Yeah. You, are, you are losing it because then I'm going to be like, no, you know what? You had the opportunity to hire somebody you didn't do right. So this time around, I'm either going to do it myself or somebody else in a different team will do the recruitment. And it has relieved me a lot of problems. I won't even lie. Mm. I won't mm. lie. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting insights. Well, uh, it must have been a steep learning curve, but I think you got there in the end. Absolutely. Very steep. <laughs> and the truth is, people change. People yeah. are different. One moment, somebody is behaving right. The next moment, 
They mm. do something like that. I mean, so that that that's actually the people management aspect of running a business. Mm. You have to understand. Mm. You have to understand. Mm. You know. So Tony, you moved back from Nigeria to the UK. You yes. left your business there. You yes. started your business here. You you're running, like I said, you're running a couple of things, both remotely and you're starting a line here. How do you first off, how did you make that transition with your kids? How did you make sure that the transition was smooth for the family as a whole and for your business? Let's start with that before I ask you the next question. Okay, so before I left Nigeria, I started planning this final relocation for two years. Mm. And amidst fear, doubt, and uncertainty, I just took the leap. But I put a lot of things in place. So I started asking myself, what is the end goal? The end goal is that the business is able to run literally on autopilot. Mm -hmm. I started working backwards. How do you achieve this autopilot situation? I started working backwards. And like I mentioned earlier, I said, document everything that you do. Ola, I'm not joking. Every single thing that we do, every single thing is written out in black and white. I can hire somebody who is just from primary school. As far as you can read and you can take instructions, you can do literally any part of my job. And that's the dream. Because that way, you're not tied to any staff. Mm. You're not tied to anyone. When they are gone, the only period you have to stop gap is to find somebody else. Mm. Right. So I started to make sure that the ones that were not properly documented, I started to document. I started to document. And I also invested heavily in technology. Because the truth is that with the Nigerian kind of mentality and, and um, culture, People need to know that they are being watched. Some people, some people need to know that they are being watched for them to do the right thing. So I invested in technology. By technology, I mean there is a, customer, a CRM system, a POS system that literally, as I'm talking to you, I can tell you what is happening physically at the store. Right? The right system in place, ensuring that I know when, I know when my staff resume work. Ola. That's where technology comes in. And it, was, it won't come cheap, but in the long run, you will have peace of mind. Right. And then in the recruitment process, the proper communication, everybody knows the consequence, right, for coming late. I'm not going to discuss it. Once I see what time you're clocking, once I see the time that you clocked in, and it's time to pay, the person who does payroll and salary can see what time everybody clocks in. So you know the penalty for coming in late, Mm -hmm. You know the penalty for not showing up at work. You know the penalty for not telling us. You know the penalty for every single disorderliness or every single misbehavior. So when you get your salary at the end of the month, your narration, if there's a deduction, your narration comes. Nobody is coming to me to come and ask me, ma, I didn't get paid full money. No, your, pay, your narration is going to tell you, you know. The days you come late and you have a waiver, you know. The days you come late and you start getting charged for coming late, you know. Mm. And the days you work overtime and we're paying you extra for the extra time you're, you're at work, mm. you know. Mm. So how so did you deal with your children? Okay. Yeah. So you get the breakdown. And like I said, all these things don't come cheap. So I knew where I was going. I started writing out what I needed to do. Mm. Get somebody to be in charge of this. Buy technology to do this. Buy technology to do that. Automate this. Automate that. And then after doing all of that, I troubleshoot everything. 
to be sure. So right now, if you tell me something is wrong in my business, Allah, I can tell you at what point you put a clog in my wheel. Because I literally know how these things work. It's like when you oil it. So with my family, when we moved here, me and the children were already at our pep talk in Nigeria. We're going to move. These are the things that need to get done. Because I knew that the kind of help and assistance I had in Nigeria, I wasn't going to have it here. So I started to find which things do I have to delegate? Which things do I have to delegate? And I started to, as I'm delegating, who, who, who am I going to delegate to? What exactly do I want to delegate? I started writing it out. Because the truth is, before you hire somebody, before you delegate, if you don't know in clear writing what you want to delegate, you will end up having people on your team who are doing nothing and are just getting paid, and you'll be frustrated. So before I hire you, I write out exactly what I want to delegate to you so that I'm sure that we're on the same page. I pass it on to you. This is what you're going to do. You understand it. You agree. You have the, competence, the, the competencies to do it. We write out all the documents. We pass it on to you. You sign. We agree. Fee, fee and all of that. So I did all of that. That way, I emptied my hand a little bit. I emptied my hands so that I could face my family because I wouldn't get the kind of help I had in Nigeria. So mm -hmm. I knew that family life was going to face me. So I got here and I was home and dry because my hands were free from a lot of my work demands. Mm. Right? So I got in, I told my children, we have to do this by ourselves now. So we had our own family talk. Everything falls on us. Mommy is going to be doing this. You have to help with this. You have to help with that. And my style of parenting, Ola, is the, way, is the type that I parent you to parent somebody. Almost like the same process with my business. So I pass on the knowledge in a way that you bite size, in a way that you understand it, such that the kids are watching after themselves. Oh, Asha, don't do that because mommy said he's going to do this. When one person understands why you're telling them not to do something, it's easy for him to communicate it to the next person. And that has really helped me. So that's basically how the transition has been. I really sat down and said to you, see, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to constantly be overwhelmed? Do you want to have an amazing time with your family and do all these your different multiple expressions in a way that is, you know, seamless and smooth? I planned out everything. And I'm a very big sucker for efficiency and, you know, productivity. I'm constantly asking, how can I do this thing better? How can I do this better? And I'm open to asking even my children, how about, okay, this cleaning, Adam, how do you think we can do this better? Because sometimes they, get, they, they say things that are insightful. Mm -hmm. I'm open to change. And I'm also constantly learning, Ola, you cannot be stuck in your own ways. Mm -hmm. that's, one of, that's my biggest strength. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly opening myself up to new knowledge and new wisdom so that I can step into the new place. I'm asking myself, I want to be here. I want to work in a way that I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not screaming about, at my children. How can I do it? So I start from the end in view. I visualize it. Then how do we get it? And I've taught my son. I always say to him, if you want to be the best at this, ask yourself, how do I get there? Write out the processes and start to achieve it one after the other. That's typically my process for everything, Ola. Mm. Wow, it's been such a wonderful time with you today. I've learned so many things and I'm sure our audience has learned a lot. Before we go, is there one final word you would like to leave with the audience for anyone that is thinking of starting a fashion business or thinking of just taking the leap to do something new? What would be the final word you'd like to leave for them? Okay, um, 
my final word is going to be if you're just starting out in something or you're just planning to take the leap or you're just you know trying to um, fine-tune something mm-hmm. my biggest and best word is always to find somebody to hold your hands always find somebody if you're starting out in anything new find somebody who has been there before to hold your hand the reason is this you're gonna they're gonna help you accelerate things cut out the guesswork because the guesswork can cost you so much mistakes can be so gripped that you end up not doing that thing so find somebody who has been in that place where you're going and tie yourself to them Mm. somebody who has been there who has traceable results Mm. result that looks like where you're going it's pretty much finding a mentor finding a coach you have to find somebody who has gone ahead in what you want to do and jump on them and say you know what i want to do this i need your guidance if they're asking you to pay for it be willing to pay for that knowledge because let me tell you that's somebody going to compress years of experience years of mistake that they that they've done into a short period for you to accelerate your growth and honestly Ola, the best way to learn is not from your own mistake the mm. best way to learn is from somebody else's mistakes absolutely absolutely thank you so much for coming today to your it's been a pleasure having you thank you thank, so you, thank you for having me i really really appreciate the opportunity to be here i hope that you know i've imparted you know some sort of knowledge from my own little well and yeah thank you so much Thank you. Yes, you did impart a lot of knowledge for that matter. Thank you. And I'm sure the audience will be glad for it. Guys, if you want to get more details about Toyo C and all the things she does, the links will be in the show notes to all her, um, all her material. And if you're watching this on YouTube, they'll also be down, the, uh, down below in the comment section. So please go ahead, check Toyo C out. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, see you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts. It helps other women that need the podcast find it more easily. There are two ways to keep in touch with us. First off, you can connect with us on Instagram at 247girlboss. And the second is why not sign up for our newsletter and be the first to know about guest giveaways and discounts. Also, you'll get tips and resources to help you build the careers that you love. So see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.